0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of EM Insider with me, your host Crystal Higgins. Today I was joined by Red Wheels John Malloy, where we talked about equity opportunities within emerging markets, as well as his bets for the year ahead, decisions he wishes he'd made faster, and his view on whether China is a compelling opportunity at the minute. What has this year told us about EM markets as a whole? You know um, how robust they are, how how kind of vulnerable they are to the kind of I suppose the the macro forces we've seen, you know, this year.
1: Well, I think it's a great perspective because um, we, we've been investing in emerging markets, and I've been investing uh, specifically. My career started over thirty years ago in emerging markets, so the emerging markets that we looked at in the '90s, <clears throat> the early 2000s, and now are very different. And um, at a time when you know we've had the global pandemic we've had uh, governments respond to the pandemic, whether it be monetary policy, fiscal policy, frankly, emerging markets have done a pretty good job. And so our view, you know, if you look at the work that our economists have done and and the fundamental work is that emerging markets are coming through this crisis, um, global crisis, actually in pretty good shape. Uh, They hiked rates well before Developed markets, well before the Fed, well before the ECB, um, they didn't spend a huge amount of money in terms of fiscal uh, expenditures like the US or like um, you know Europe, the UK, and mm. Japan. And um, they're set up actually to recover coming into 2023. So, I mean, overall, EM is is actually set up to do really pretty well
0: and on that you know i suppose is it fair to say i suppose looking at the beginning of the year the emerging markets were the first to suffer i suppose you know in 2022 or uh, you might have a different view so are you expecting to see them you know get a bit of a be the first to recover and and get a bit of a rally and and if so which regions and sectors do you think people should be looking at
1: well i think even going back to 2021 uh, emerging markets underperformed global markets in twenty twenty one. So we start we started to see that being priced in starting two years ago. Uh, and China being probably the the poster child of that, um, China markets suffered in twenty one. We had the uh, government clamp down in terms of various regulations. We had uh, China f- and Xi focused on party Congress, focused on Covid. And so, it wasn't. It's not just 22 where you know EM suffered. It was. It was going back even before that. Um, coming into this year, that continued. You know, so emerging markets suffered throughout that. The uh, tightening of monetary monetary policy, the COVID restrictions, um, risk off. Really, I mean, you if you look at flows, capital flows, flows coming out of emerging markets, not just equities, but also emerging market debt has been a bit of a disaster. And I think right now where we are is we're at an inflection point. Over the past month, um, China has stabilized, Chinese equity markets have stabilized. Xi is now focused on economic growth, economic stability. He's gotten what he wanted out of party Congress. Mm. And we're getting to a point where uh, the Fed is probably close to maybe a pause uh, at some point, point. and so all of that combined has has supported equity markets.
0: It's funny. So when you you brought up China there, and I know there's been a lot of back and forth, you know, from commentators about um is 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 China a good bet right now? Um, and I'm just wondering. I think. I, I think you've kind of half answered this. Uh, but you know, are Chinese equities compelling to you right now? I know you're 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 you are slightly underweight in China, and India, say, very slightly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do, for, for, I, from what you said about where she is right now, bearing in mind the zero COVID policy, um and you know all the kind of fundamentals that people I think have been concerned about when it comes to china, do do you do you feel that now is the inflection point for China?
1: Yes. Yeah, so in, in terms of our China exposure, we were underweight China two, two years ago by about 9%. And that's when everybody loved China and Chinese equity market was doing extremely well. IPOs were super hot. Um, we decided to go underweight because of what we thought would happen in terms of the regulations, starting with Ant Financial. And so coming into this year, probably our biggest mistake was being um, market weight and then eventually being overweight China. And so um, that has cost us money so far, but we're starting to recoup that as China has rebounded. We think the Chinese market is very attractive. Um, The companies are trading at extremely low valuations. The growth rates of those companies are still very attractive. Um, When we look at the longer term growth, and it might not be 30 40% top line growth, but it could easily be you know, 15 to 25% growth. And so that's quite a bit higher than anything you're gonna achieve in developed markets. Uh, The market is under-owned. If you look at our competitors, they're underway China. Many of the discussions that we have with our investors or potential investors is, you know, the question is, is China investable? I think China is very much investable. Um, We don't see, we have our advisors, Rice, Hadley, Gates, Manuel, uh, led by Condoleezza Rice and, and Dr. Gates and they don't see a direct conflict in terms of military conflict with China Taiwan anytime soon and that would be that would be a game changer for investing in China but as of now you know we think that China is is very attractive it's a deep equity market the A share market the H share market, market the ADR market we're talking about literally 2 to 3000 stocks so finding for us to find 20 good ideas is pretty easy you know we have a, a team of 6 Chinese analysts sitting in Singapore, mainland Chinese, and um, we're finding you know tremendous opportunities at this point. The Chinese market has done well over the past month. Um, our competitors and the market is not positioned for that. People still are very skeptical. So our view is that that very much continues into next year. And in terms of China, I mean, China is the second largest economy in the world, so uh you know we're talking about an economy just under the size of the us that will be growing at probably five five and a half percent next year i mean that that has to be if you're a global investor you have to think about that if you're a global company i mean apple can talk about you know pulling out of china and not you know selling to china but they're going to want to sell iphones to china i guarantee it
0: this is extremely hypothetical, but what would happen in your mind the day after an invasion by China in Taiwan? What would investors have to do then?
1: Well, I think it's similar to the roadmap of uh, Russia, Ukraine, and and we were quick to position around Russia, Uqu- Ukraine early on. We reduced our risk mm-hmm. even before the event, and then we sold, you know, basically reduced all the risk in a matter of two, three days. And um, China would be similar, I think. And and that's why, frankly, that's why I don't think it's gonna happen because when you look at Xi and the Communist Party staying in power, common prosperity, mm. it, it doesn't align with going to war with Taiwan. And um, if you look at the conversations, again, we've had with Rice the Gatesman Well, they're not there. They will likely not win, so it would likely be a, a very, very complicated military um, um, exercise that would go on for a long time. Uh, it's not just the U.S. that they're going against. It's going to be Japan, Australia, mm-hmm. South Korea and Taiwan. So mm. I mean, if 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 she that would probably be the the riskiest move that they would do and if if you look at chinese policy they don't take risk like that they're very calculated they think long term and um so my view is that it's a low probability and the market's pricing in that as happening you know in the near future and and, uh, we just don't see it
0: and I suppose on the topic of you know risks, what do what do you see? What do you and your team see as the biggest risks to EM and you know EM equity opportunities in twenty twenty three, as a whole?
1: Well, I think the the biggest risk is ironically developed market policies, and so starting with you know the Fed, and um, if you were to have the Fed continue to hike rates, you know to let's say five and a half, six, six and a half. I think that would be extremely negative for um, U.S. growth, negative for risk assets, and by default would be, you know, would have impl- implication in emerging markets. I, I think that's that's the number one risk right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Russia, Ukraine, we probably have some risk there. I mean, if let's say Putin were to, you know, pivot towards using tactical nuclear weapons or accelerating, uh, you know, the force in terms of trying to take over Ukraine. I, mean, I think that that would have implications, implications on Europe for sure. Um, implications on the oil market, which that would be extremely negative. So mm-hmm. I, I view those as probably the the two greatest risks.
0: And I noticed as well, and I suppose, speaking of, you know, developed market policy and monetary policy in general, um, and, and you know, looking looking to the US, I suppose, you know, the, the US dollar is at its strongest now since 2000, is, is that right? And I suppose what impact do you see is that going to have, has had, is having, and will continue to have on EM markets? Well,
1: no, it's a... Very good point. Um, dollar has been extremely strong. It has come off of of the highs over the past two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a lot of that's being priced into emerging market currencies. So the underperformance that we've seen in the equity markets, the underperformance we've seen in the debt markets and emerging markets, um, that's a reflection of that dollar strength. Mm-hmm. So at, at this point, if you're an investor coming in, I think the markets have really absorbed that risk. And in emerging markets today their currencies are very attractive. I mean, so if you were to travel to Brazil or India uh, or any of these markets, you would find hotels, um, travel, whatnot, being extremely attractive. Mm. Um, but that, So that has implications for travel, but more importantly, it has implications for manufacturing. And so if they're selling goods, if they're selling commodities, um, those commodities are, are, are very, very attractive. Um, on the other side of that, what that does, the strong dollar actually is a headwind for US companies and for multinational companies. And so we see, not to say that the, the S&P or US stocks will go down a lot, but in comparison to their position in, in against emerging markets, they have a lot of head headwinds with the stronger dollar. Um, globally, they're not gonna be as competitive and um you know so we see then that being basically another positive for emerging market equities to do well
0: and i suppose another area that you're um overweight in is is brazil and i'm just wondering if you could maybe talk through you know the opportunity there as a whole and 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 maybe where you're still finding you know um Value plays in in Brazil equities is you know if you could maybe expand a little bit about why Brazil is yeah there. Brazil's
1: Brazil's yeah. been challenging. I mean we've um, Lula coming in, we're not quite sure of the direction of the administration we're We're still waiting for confirmation on you know finance minister the what the administration looks like. Is this going to be a Lula that we knew twenty years ago, or is this going to be more of a Real leftist type of Lula, um, our sense and our gut is that he's going to be pushed towards the center, but we want to see confirmation of that. Um, the areas that will do well will be uh, companies that benefit from the consumer doing well. So I think banks, I think banks should do well. Um, retailers should do well. Healthcare should do well. Um, we own electrobras. That's a you know a, a basic consumer type of product in terms of. Uh, energy consumption. It's also a very clean, green, clean energy company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so w- we think that those businesses do well. the The companies that are probably hurt end up being the SOEs, where like a Petrobras or Banco de Brazil, mm-hmm. where they are controlled by the government, and the government will basically push them to invest more locally. It might not be driven by economics. It might not might be more driven by social the social benefit which net net could be good for Brazil but might not not be good for the company Mm. so um, but we if you look at the valuations of Brazil there it's extremely extremely attractive and when we look at the growth you know Brazil has interest rates that have come up to 13 14 percent and it's still growing you still have loan growth so when when we start to have the central bank ease monetary policy coming to next year Mm-hmm. We think the Brazilian economy could do well. Um, a lot of it's going to be driven around the, the confidence of the Lula administration. So, we're sticking with our overweight at this point. We also have Mercado Libre, which we think it's a it, you know it's an Argentine company, but really is a beneficiary of of Brazil and Latin America, and mm-hmm. and that should do well.
0: And just I was always wondering as well. I don't know if we've ever spoken about you know I suppose sustainability and ESG factors and bearing in mind. You have to bear it. You look at it from a you know emerging market context. I'm just wondering how much that factors into your strategy or you know portfolio construction. Um, and then second, uh, not to ask too many questions at the same time, but um how from that perspective from you know sustainability investing in em, um how you deal with quite, say, negative externalities, which are, you know, to be expected, I suppose, in certain parts of, you know, the EM, EM market. I was wondering if you could give some examples about that, or if it's relevant to, to, to how you're working at the minute.
1: Well, I mean, ESG for us is, and we've, uh, we've incorporated ESG in our process for over 10 years. So it's, it's nothing new. And a lot of people want to talk about it today, but you really, you can't be uh, an investor without thinking about governance, without thinking about, you know the social implications of companies, environmental risk, environmental opportunities. So it's it's part of what we do, and we have head of ESG, and we have that ingrained in our process. Um, the way we think about it, actually, I think it's quite different from the market. Is we think about it as an alpha uh, opportunity, and the perception is okay. It's an emerging market company, governance is poor, the the government is poor. The companies, you know, using child labor, polluting, whatever. But we're seeing huge amount of opportunities of companies that are actually leaders, whether it be in um, green energy, whether it be in best practices, um, disclosure, and so. As a result of that, you know, these companies end up going from companies that are looked at as industrials or maybe. Polluters and now they're looked at as leaders. I mean, Reliance Industries would be probably the poster child, right? Mm. Reliance Industries, 200 plus billion market cap. Um, years ago, we used to trade that stock based on the on on the oil market, the crack spreads, the you know energy markets, and now it's it's basically investing billions and billions of dollars in becoming a, a green energy, clean energy uh, company and has diversified into consumer products, uh, digital network, retail. And as a result, now the stock trades at 22, 23 times earnings. So, you know, and the stock has done has done well. So we try to um, find those alpha opportunities and try to make as much money for investors. The other part of it too, is engagement. And we try to work with our companies in in one, educating them about the market about, you know, the sustainability of the world, uh, what data that they're looking for, what data investors are looking for, because frankly, some of these companies just aren't aware and they just don't realize that, okay, if they were to publish this information that they're already doing, um, they're going to have, they're going to be perceived as, as a, as a higher quality company. Um, The other part would be on the governance where, uh, an example like Goldfields, where Goldfields uh, is a company where we, they announced an acquisition that we were not in favor of, and you know we engage with the board in terms of the direction of that business, and and they finally basically you know decided to not pursue that investment, and as a result, the stock had done well. So I think there's there's different parts of like ESG and engagement. Um, we think it's important it's it it's not a driver of our focus i mean we continue to focus on returns but it's very very much a part of our process just like macroeconomics just like geopolitical risk and just like the stock analysis that we do
0: and i'm i was i was wondering what your thoughts on i know there are a lot of say emerging market companies that because of say a lack of data a rating agency um might not know the good they're doing but then Overemphasize something bad they're doing. Um, I'm just wondering if that's, you know, a fair a fair statement. Something that you see happening and how that impacts your, you I suppose your your role, you know, as an investor and what you know how to to mitigate that.
1: Well, I think a uh, very good point. I think um, a lot of these agencies and 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 companies um, point to media, so that and and we know that media is not always the best source of information. How dare and so, you? So <laughs> sorry, sorry, but except for Citywire. Thank um, you. <laughs> but the you know one is just making sure that the companies understand that, and then the companies get in front of that, and also the companies communicate with media, with the market, with investors. So again, whether it be disclosure. Um, Engagement, I, I think it's really key, and I think you know you'll just see we're we're going to see more and more focus on companies, whether it be producing sustainable annual reports, um, whether it be hiring a sustainable officer at the CEO or CFO or CEO level. Um, those are all I think you know moves that we're seeing. So but it is a fair point. And if you just, if you think about it, you know, our universe of stocks within EM is maybe three, 4,000 companies. Can these agencies really track those companies? I mean, mm. can they have really good information? I mean, it's hard enough for us. You know, we have a team of almost 30 people to cover these companies. So can they actually really cover those? How many people do they need to get that good information? So for companies like TSMC or Samsung, they might have great information, but um for companies that are well below that market cap they they just don't have have the good information
0: and you know before before i let you go um another country that you're slightly overweighting is the united kingdom and i was just wondering after the summer that we've had economically is is united kingdom what did the the united Kingdom behave like an emerging market at any point this year uh from uh from I know the IMF were saying that uh, they were almost monitoring it as an emerging market. And I'm just wondering what your your take is on that, if you have it Well,
1: yeah, I mean, our exposure in, in the UK, which shows up in the fund report, would be companies that are listed in uh, the UK but don't have, you know, they're not domiciled there. So, but I mean, our, look, I mean, if you look at the policies and you look at the currency reaction, um, Where the pound weakened tremendously, I mean that is typically what we've seen in emerging markets, where uh, governments announce uh, expenditures, the market doesn't believe that they can pay for them, and then you have you know massive currency weakness. that That is like the playbook for EM that we've seen over the past whatever, thirty years. Mm-hmm. So but I mean, I think <clears throat> the, the the positive is that uh, the u k. shifted gears very quickly. So let's look at Erdogan. Erdogan in Turkey is still doing the same um, nonsense that that the UK wanted to do. So the currency is under weakness. He's trying to spend a lot of money. He doesn't have the money. He's trying to stay in power. So I think, you know, to give the UK the benefit, uh, the the process worked, the system worked, and it is acting like a a developed, um, you know, Real world economy, unlike again Turkey, Argentina, mm-hmm. Venezuela, and there's probably you know uh, uh, quite a few more that they actually continue to print money and have super high inflation. So, um, you know we're we we clear. are Red Wheel Red Wheel is a we're we're UK based company. Um, we are very positive on on the UK. Um, if you look at you know, in terms of a money center, if you look at in terms of um, all of the attributes of, of the United Kingdom, I think it's um, it's very interesting. Property market is very attractive at this point. Stocks are very, very attractively valued. They're cheap um, and it will continue to be a leader. So now I think the head will have the headwinds from from Brexit and from other areas, but um, longer term, we're super bullish.
0: John Malloy, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you again and I hope to talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Crystal. Very nice to speak with you.